0: You're a 19-year-old kid. You're critically wounded and dying in a jungle somewhere in the central highlands of Vietnam. It's November 14th, 1965. Landing zone x-ray. Your unit is outnumbered 8 to 1, and the enemy fire is so intense from 100 yards away that your commanding officer has ordered the medevac helicopters to stop coming in. You're lying there listening to the enemy machine guns, and you know you're not getting out. Your family is halfway around the world, 12,000 miles away, and you will never see them again. As the world starts to fade in and out, you know that this is the day. Then, over the machine gun noise, you faintly hear that sound of a helicopter. You look up to see a Huey coming in, but it doesn't seem real because no medevac markings are on it captain ed freeman is coming in for you he's not medevac so it's not his job but he heard the call over the radio and decided he's flying his huey down into the machine gun fire anyway even after the medevacs were ordered not to come he's coming anyway and he drops it in and sits there in the machine gun fire as they load three of you on at a time then he flies you up and out through the gunfire to the doctors and nurses in safety And he keeps coming back 13 more times until all the wounded were out no one knew until the mission was over that the captain had been hit four times in the legs and left arm he took 29 of you and your buddies out that day some would not have made it without the captain and his huey medal of honor recipient captain ed freeman united states army died at the age of 81 in Boise, Idaho. I bet you didn't hear about this hero's passing, Medal of Honor winner Captain Ed Freeman. Let us not forget our real heroes. They may be gone, but we should never forget their sacrifice. Rest in peace, Captain Freeman, with respect, honor, and gratitude. Hello, my friends, and welcome back Title Chatter. I'm your host, Ray Bohax, the Hot Rod Farmer, and I want to thank you for allowing me to read the story of Captain Ed Freeman to you. It is something that I heard a number of years ago when I was traveling by car on one of my business trips out to the, probably most likely to the Midwest, and I did not remember the gentleman's name. I remembered, I remembered the event, and then I was blessed the other day that this story came across my desk and I just think that it's, and I think I know that it's so important for us to never forget the sacrifice of those that protect us and protect our beloved nation. So I I thank you once again for allowing me to share that with you, and hopefully everything is going well in your farm, your operation, your life, and that things are as God willing you would hope they would be, and if they're not, then we have to just trust in the lord and tomorrow is another day right just like the just like the crops in the field do the, the, they wait for the dawning of the next day and they have faith and hope in the next day so i want to uh, get back on track over here and tell you that uh, the contest is still going on until the middle of december to win one of the three books and all you need to do is go as so many have already to my website farmmachinerydigest.com click on the tab for the license plate entry uh license plate contest entry and that will put you obviously in there for that contest and let me know where you listen from the town and the state is fine and i will be i will be blessed with a pin in my map to find out where you are from and then just put down which book you are interested in winning so we have three books here it said i'll go over them once more uh two cylinder john deere john deere tractors by rod beamer international harvester trucks the complete story by mr patrick Forster, and farmall the golden age 1924 to 1954 by lee clancher so those are the three books that i'm giving away and the the drawing will be uh just before christmas it kind of evolved because I am pulling these shows forward, as I said to you last week. Because my uh, my graphic artist, my my uh, I guess you I don't if you call her she's like everything she she's my art director, my podcast director. She posts uh, the podcasts up on the website and the different hosting sites and what have you. So she's going to be out of town traveling with her husband for a couple of weeks. So that means since I do not have those skill sets to do that that I have to pull these shows ahead. But that, for those who listen to the radio show, Farm Machinery Digest Radio, on Sirius XM Channel 147 Rural Radio, uh, that is not the case, because she has nothing to do with that. I record those uh, on a weekly basis and send those right up to, uh, right. well, I shouldn't say, down to Nashville, Tennessee, and then they load them on to the satellite, which is supposedly, I think, about 20 or 25 miles above the Earth, which... You would tend to think they would be further than that, but I guess 25 miles in space is a lot different than 25 miles going down I-80, right? So uh, I just think of the relationship of like a town 25 miles away, and I say, well, if I took that town and I rotated it and I tilted, tilted it up above my head, that's a distance of the satellite, but I guess it's like many things in life, that they're the same but different, right? And that's what we are going to talk about today what i'm going to talk to discuss with you is uh i'm going to pose a question to you and the question is a rebuilt engine just as good as a brand new one and what i mean by brand new is a engine that was made in the factory with all new parts so so let's turn the clock well i don't have to turn the clock back but let's say you went to uh uh a car, we'll use a car instead of a farm tractor for this example. So let's say you went to uh, the Chevrolet dealer and you bought a brand new engine for your Silverado pickup truck, all right? And uh, it's a brand new, what we would call a crate engine. It comes in a crate, right? I mean, how else would they, I could give it to you in an envelope? But it comes and it's all brand new versus pulling that engine out and bringing it to a, a good machine shop, wherever that may be, and having them go through it and rebuild it so that is a question that is that is often asked of me and is a question that is often pondered by many people within the agricultural and machinery community because there comes a time when sometimes an engine needs to be gone through and that could be in a semi-truck right lots of times they do what they call an in-frame rebuild where they don't even take it out of the they don't take the block out of the frame and they uh they work on it in the frame, and they put new rods and pistons and bearings and stuff whatever it may be. And we're gonna get into that. And then there are there are times when you pull the engine out and you uh, send it to a machine shop and pull it out of anything could be a, a pickup truck, a car, a piece of farm equipment, then send it out to a machine shop, and then they go and and they rebuild it all right so and then there are times when that happens and you go to the dealership and you buy a brand new engine not a remanufactured engine and then there's also the possibility of buying a remanufactured engine so that it gets a lot of confusion i've done a show early i i guess a while back i don't remember anymore but um about the difference I think it was early on in in idle chatter and probably fairly early on in with the rate with the radio show about the difference between rebuilt remanufactured and new but we're going to focus today just on engines and why am i focusing on that and it's multifaceted because number 1 i do get those this there seems to be a a certain degree of confusion about that within the community uh, and the second thing is that as people tend to hold on to equipment longer then they, they, you, they're facing the possibility that this may be a decision that they have to make right and then also uh, with the lack of equipment trucks cars whatever you know, they, they call it supply chain issues uh, I don't understand that uh, well we're not going to get there So, we're not going to go there. But, uh, you know, you go to the car dealer, and there's no pickup trucks there. There's no cars there. There's nothing, right? And so, uh, who knows? It's a different world. But even though it's a different world, I was talking about that to somebody just the other day at breakfast and even though it's a different world it's the people have changed it's not the world has changed because the sun still rises in the east then sets in the west a baby is still born the same way the crop a crop a seed is put in the ground and and germinates and emerges the same way so it really hasn't changed that much but the mindset of the people have changed so you may want to ponder that uh as we move on with the show but anyway, so the thing is that, you know, a lot, of, in, in, and I've said this before on this show, that words have meanings. And they, so if you say something, you have to mean it. And you have to mean what you say, but you also have to know what you're talking about. And I'm not talking, and, and that may be in, with dealing with, 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 with people in life but what i'm talking about here also is when it comes to machinery so somebody could say oh, i put a new engine in there well was it a new engine or did you re-ring your old engine and go through it or did you buy a remanufactured engine did you buy a rebuilt engine did you put a junkyard engine in and the thing is that as the, you know the engineer in me is very very critical and i beat people to death with semantics with words because you did not oh, i bought a new car oh wow is it a 22 or 23 no it's a it's a it's a 1999 well how is that a new car it's new to you right you bought a new tractor oh wow it's a, the 23s right oh no 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 it's a 97 all right well it's new to you so the thing is that we use words and we lots of times, and I'm guilty of it also, I'm no different than anyone else. I try to be cognizant of that, but that doesn't mean that I always am, all right? So uh, the thing is that it all comes into play. So if you go and you tell me that you put a new engine in your combine, then that means that you, to me, in my mind, is that you went to the dealer because that's the only place you get a new engine, right? Right? you went to the dealer, whatever brand it may be, and you said, I have this combine XYZ model, and I want a brand new engine. I don't want to remanufacture it. I don't want to rebuild. I don't want to used one. I don't want anything. I want a brand new engine. And then also you have your neighbor, and he says, well, I put a new engine in my, my combine also. Well, what dealer did you get? Oh, no, I went to Joe's machine shop, and, and he, he rebuilt it for me. So, with that established when we deal with equipment we often use those terms interchangeably and they should not be used interchangeably but the focus of my discussion with you my meeting with you because it's really it's a meeting it's a conversation that we're having is going to be based upon engines but the thing is that what we have to understand is a number of key elements and the first thing that I want you to have well established in your thought process is that over the years in life, in every aspect, not just machinery, we've learned to do stuff better. And I'm using the word better because that's really what it is. We've learned how to become better farmers. We learned how to, to make better oil. We've learned how to, uh, well, I'm going to say, hopefully, well, we in theory better weather forecast, but I don't know. Sometimes it seems like the old farmer's almanac is more accurate than the news guy with his satellites and the weatherman with his satellites and his. Doppler radar and everything so but we have learned how to do things better and that's just a natural evolution of life I mean hopefully I and mean, if you're not learning how to do things better then you're not learning whatsoever so if you're not a better farmer than you were a year or two ago if you're not a better mechanic than you were a while back and if I'm not a better podcast host all right then I'm staying stagnant and I'm not growing So over over time, the industry, when it came to building engines, has learned how to do it better, all right? So somebody, I'm sure somebody's, in their mind, they're arguing me right now and go, oh, no, my old engine was so much better. And the thing basically is, is that you may be correct in certain areas of it, but I'm gonna look collectively as the whole total engine. Now, granted did this evolution to make engines better create complexity did it create cost without question it did all right so you can't look at an old engine that was totally mechanical and and look at a new version of the same engine or or the modern day version of it i should say with all the electronic controls on it, variable cam timing so fuel injection whether it's a diesel or gas electronic fuel injection all these microprocessors all these sensors right compacted graphite block composite intake manifolds which we kind of discussed in a few shows back briefly with diesel engines and gas engines so you look at this i mean all the space age you don't hear that term space age anymore when i grew up it was always space age right because we were so enamored with this space program and rightfully so going to the moon that america was the first nation to plant and i think subsequently the only nation to ever go to the moon so anyway but we have all of this and 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 uh, uh, yeah so Is that better? Well, the net result is that it's better because the the engines today last longer and they are more efficient in every way, shape, or form i'm talking about the engines not necessarily the vehicle so you could put i mean you could take a a very efficient engine and put it in a a ten pound suburban and it's not going to be that efficient as far as fuel is concerned but that's not the engine's fault that's the body that you're putting it in so we look at all that and then we look at also a certain level of reliability and reliability a modern engine versus an old engine is basically a double-sided sword I mean, one aspect you could say that they are more reliable and another aspect you could make a very convincing argument that they're not. And and the reason why they would not be more reliable is because they're more complex. Whereas years ago we use a spark ignition engine, you got to set a breaker points with a condenser, you put it in there, the thing started up, right? No matter what, you had spark. Today they have crank sensors, cam sensors, ECUs, coil packs, all this other complexity, and any problem in one of those complex circuits will have you dead on the side of the road, All right. So in that respect, they're not they're not more reliable. But now we talk about fuel efficiency. They are much more fuel efficient. As I said, it's not with taking the the body style, the body that it's placed in or the tractor that it's placed in or the combine or what have you out of the equation because as an engineer, you don't look at that. If you're an engine guy, you're going to look at fuel consumption based upon what they call brake-specific fuel consumption. So that's how much fuel in pounds, in a mass, in a weight all right is used to make one horsepower for one hour And anybody who's ever gone to a dyno uh engine dyno gasoline or diesel you'll you'll have some data there if it's a decent halfway decent dyno cell that'll give you bsfc brake specific fuel consumption so that's showing you how efficiently the chemical to mechanical energy conversion is taking place so that's what you look at as an engineer and over the years we've made the engines much more fuel efficient all right some of those that efficiency has been lost in the mass of the vehicle but that doesn't mean that the brake specifics are not much better and that's the term that's a slang would use the brake on it so i remember uh many years ago well geez it's frightening it's probably 20 years ago if not more I did a uh, engine build at the University of Northwest Ohio in Lima. It was a three part engine build for um, Hot Rod magazine. And it was uh, Jim Fueling was still alive at the time. And he had his big block Chevrolet uh, center fire combustion chamber, center fire, uh, center fire combustion chamber cylinder heads. It was the combustion chamber it looked like a figure eight and it was very small and it had a, a special valve design that he called a curve, curvilinear valve it was a regular valve but it had like an extended margin if you do if you're interested and you do an internet search you could still find that, that those that series of stories up there they lots of times take my name off of it because that used to be the old i think source interlink they change the name so many times and now they they they, they uh they branded under motor trend or something and you go and there's my story and sometimes they leave my name on sometimes they just say uh whatever staff writer or something i was never staff but that's the fake news of today right but the story is that i mean the article is a good article and uh basically what i'm telling you about that is that the brake specific fuel consumption on a diesel engine is usually around 0.29 0.28 0.27 and it depends on on where you're looking at it in the engine's power output so if you're looking at it that part throttle light load the brake specific is going to be much less so if it's much less it's lower meaning less fuel in pounds to uh, to make one horsepower and if you're looking at it at peak torque then it's going to be a little bit higher but anyway but for all intents and purposes most larger diesel engines are around 0.25 0.22 at peak torque and then we were With Jim Fueling's heads on this five oh two Chevy, we were at point two seven, point two eight brake specific. So we were very, very fuel efficient with that engine. And I remember calling up Jim, he was in Ventura, California, saying call calling him up from the college and saying, Jim, I'm seeing breaks like 0.27, 0.28. And he goes, Yeah, isn't it exciting? <laughs> so to get in diesel territory. And it was. So so as I say, is that we've learned to make things better. But now the question for me to get back on track is that if you are if you are if you are in a position where you have to make a decision on whether you want to rebuild an engine or buy a remanufactured engine or buy a new engine for your application then we you have to pencil this all out but what i'm going to basically do is give you the technical aspect of it and then you make your decision all right The thing is that what a lot of people don't realize about new engines, all right, and this could be in, in the industry we call this a repower. So if you're going to put a, if you're going to put a different engine in your combine let's say and I'm using that because that's far removed from some of the audience who has a car or just a pickup truck or a small tractor so if you're going to so you're going to say you're going to repower it and that means that you are going to change the power plant you're not identifying that what what type meaning what was the qualifications of that power plant I'm not saying that you're going to a bigger engine or a smaller engine what have you but whether it's a reman, rebuilt used engine and what have you but there's, there's obstacles and pitfalls to everything in life, and you have to decide what the obstacles, and, and as an engineer, we call those compromises, and they are compromises. And as an engineer, anything that is engineered is going to be a compromise, and anything that is designed is going to be a compromise. If you look at, excuse me, if you look at something, and I'm going to make two different analogies for you. Number one, I'm going to look at a drag race engine, and I'm going to look at a high-yield corn farmer test plot. You say, what? That's crazy. How are you comparing those two things? They're nothing nothing alike. Well, they're nothing alike, but the thought process is a lot alike. All right? So if you're building a drag race engine, I mean, a dedicated drag race engine, all right, there's a couple of things. It's only going to have to run for a couple of seconds, it's going to have a very narrow rpm band whether it's an automatic or whether it's a stick or a clutch vehicle all Right? usually in essence you want to you want to leave the line at peak torque then you want to shift whether it shifts by itself or you shift it with a with a lever manually you want to shift at peak horsepower and when you complete that shift, you want to fall back down to maybe, to just just right, on the, right at the peak torque curve, on the lower part of the peak torque curve so it could pull again. You don't want to be below the peak torque because then it's going to struggle to get back up. You don't want to be right at the peak torque, all right? And that's why the whole idea is you want to have a very flat torque curve and then you're hoping to go through the traps, the traps, all right, the mile an hour light because in drag racing, the the ET clock light comes first and light because the tire breaks the, breaks the beam and that stops the clock and then the next sixty feet between the between the ET clock is the mile an hour clock. So when it says if you said why when eleven ten at one hundred twenty seven miles per hour you broke the beam with the first tire and the first tire with the, the first beam with with a, the et clock to stop and then the mile an hour is calculated but the last 60 feet and then you go from the the et clock to the mile an hour clock and that 60 feet is what calculates the speed right so and so in theory you want to shift it at at peak horsepower you want it to fall down to peak torque or to, to, to the torque curve And pull up through the torque curve again because that's where you're going to get the most acceleration and then you want to do that and then you want to go through the traps the mile an hour light probably about two to three hundred maybe four hundred rpm depending upon your combination the tire size and a whole bunch of things but the rule is that you want to go through the mile an hour light about three four five hundred rp usually it used to be two or three hundred rpm above peak power and that's going to give you the bet the peak horsepower that's going to give you the highest mile an hour because remember it's only being registered for 60 60 feet it's a mathematical time to cover those 60 feet so it's all math it's not a speedometer there that tells you oh look look how fast you're going it's the math that the that they that they do to math Say, okay if you covered 60 feet in this time you're going this mile an hour okay so now we have that established that's a drag engine it doesn't have to start in the cold it doesn't have to do anything all right it just has to do that it has to start in the pits, drive through has to do a burnout stage and it has to do that's its whole mission in life now you look at and remember because i'm leading you down a path here that we're talking about you penciling out things on what you're going to do with your engine but then the potential pitfalls for that for whatever your decision is. Now, let's look at the high-yield farmer. The high-yield farmer, for instance, National Corn Growers Association, I believe it's a five-acre plot that they put in, and then it's and it's this five-acre plot, and then they 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 highly manage this. They highly manage everything on this five-acre plot it's like a drag engine, right? So they they make love to this plot to this to this whether it's a corn crop, soybean, wheat, whatever it may be. But I'm using NCGA National Corn Growers because I I'm 99 percent sure it's a five-acre plot that they use. And then when they harvest it, it all has to be certified and what have you, all right? Like the ET clock. And mile an hour clocks at the drag strip, and then they the, they come up with a yield. So, what the what the farmer does in that competition plot, it's no different than a drag race, right? You know, competition plot is that they 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 you know they they go through any expense, any effort to be able to make to get the highest yield from that plot, right? And then hopefully so they're not going to look at a return on investment their return on investment is to win just like a drag guy is i mean a return on an investment is to win to to light the wind bulb so these guys want to win the contest so if you look at their if you look at the 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 way they manage and the way they take care of their 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 competition plot all right is completely different than the way they take care of the rest of their acres so i'm not saying that they don't take care of the rest of the acres all right but they they don't care about the cost per acre for this competition plot so they're going to go in there and they're going to put as much fertility as they need to they're going to the fungicide whatever foliar feeding whatever they're going to have to do to make this thing just like the drag guy all right so now you look at the drag car and the drag the guy with the drag race engine all right he's doing this he's doing having perfect machine work done doing all of this and what have you because his goal is that he's going to make the most power for that five five, six seven ten seconds fifteen whatever well not fifteen seconds but whatever you know less than a nine second run let's say six or seven second eight second run right now if you look at it that his tow vehicle the, the drag racers tow vehicle that he brought the race car to the track with still runs the same way, right? Runs through through uh if it's a gasoline engine, spark ignition, the the idea of the cylinders being filled and what have you, but it does not have the attention to detail that his drag engine does. So his drag engine, the the machinist may spend five hours balancing the, the rotating assembly because you're balancing it to a very finite balance. whereas the production engine in his pickup truck that he had rebuilt the guys just were putting stuff on a scale and weight matching it and putting it together okay So there's still considered balance. Let's go back to the farmer the farmer says well hey you know i'm farming a thousand acres of corn i got a thousand five acres here five acres at a test plot and on my on my test plot on my competition plot i should say i'm getting i'm going to make up a number 500 bushels per acre but on my farm my on farm average is 290 bushels per acre which is a wonderful on farm average for a thousand acres all right so just like the the tow vehicle engine for the drag racer is not built to the same standard as his drag race engine is. The farmer's, the farmer's one thousand acres, because he has a thousand five, is not is not managed and taken care of to the same level that his test plot is five acre test plot is, and they both yield something different. All right. So now, how does this make any sense to you? Well first of all what you have to realize is that as i started to say in the beginning of the show is that we learned how to do things so much better than we did years ago now you know a lot of people think that that hand-built stuff is the best and when you go to a machine shop and they rebuild your engine this is no knock on machine shops whatsoever all right because um I mean that's the industry I come from. I mean, race engines are built in a machine shop, all right. But what has happened, what a lot of people don't recognize, is oh, this is hand built, all right. And in some instances, hand built is better. I'm not going to deny it, all right. I'm not going to go through and, and and go through every particular instance that a hand built engine is better. But what we have to recognize is that the factory. What I'm saying the factory. General Motors, Ford, John Deere, Case IH, Kubota, whatever it may be, has the resources, the engineering prowess, and the financial resources today especially to mimic almost a race engine coming out of the factory that's going into your combine. All right, so the whole idea is that what the industry, meaning that the OE production industry has recognized, is that they have to figure out, excuse me, how to do it better, do it faster, and do it to a higher level. So if you were to talk to an engine production guy, a production engineer, that's going to be designing engines to be built on a production line and his job is to put together the protocols for this production process. He looks with one with one eye to the race engine business and he looks at the other eye to the I have to build a thousand of these engines a day, not one every three weeks like a race engine shop does. So he has to try to find it in the middle. And because of the resources they have and we learn to do things better, I have to say that the new engines today, all right, and this goes back and I'm going to go back to whether whether you should rebuild yours or buy new, the the new engines today offer so much better, I'm going to say, machine procedures than for the most part than you could find in a a rebuild shop even the guy has the best rebuild shop in the country because just like if you were to if you were to be if you went to a body man all right and 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 he was honest with you and honest with himself all right and he said to him okay I had a collision in my car uh where I hit a deer and I need to change a new hood and the hood got buckled up and the fenders are fine do i need a new hood a new grill and what have you he says okay that's no problem i said to him hey can you paint this to match and he says yes no problem i could paint it to match all right and he can i'm not going to deny that but i will tell you without question and i'm not a body man but the paint that he's going to put on that hood of your car your pickup truck what have you is not going to be the same quality level and the same durability as what the manufacturer put in on the, from the factory and you can say oh whoa, 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 you don't know what you're talking about hot this guy's got the best paint booth the best this he's got this great painter i'm not denying that because there's a number of things that come into play first of all for for most in most instances you cannot buy the same paint that they're buying in the factory right and then you're gonna to have to say well that's i buy the best i buy a heinz speaker, or whatever call that german company or whatever it is yes and that's excellent excellent paint all right that's excellent paint but you have to recognize that the paint that they and i'm not talking about the color or saying you know whether it's an oil-based paint or it's a water-based paint what have you but the factory meaning the manufacturer has that paint mixed and created specifically for them and you cannot buy it you could buy the same color maybe the same amount of pigment in it but all of the other components in that paint you cannot buy so just like my friends they paint show cars. very expensive paint all right i mean so but that's like a drag race engine all right that paint is not meant to take to, for you to go down the road and have a salt truck spinning out grits because it's icy on Route 80 and hitting your car and hitting your hood and have bugs and stone headed. So stone headed, so you, so you, you without a doubt, that if you go and have the front of your vehicle painted for some reason and repainted, I should say, it's not going to have the same wear and tear for rocks, for stones hitting it, salt hitting it, dust hitting it, all right, bugs hitting it, whatever, that it originally did from the factory. And that's without exception. it may look beautiful when you pick it up, the, the paint will look beautiful, be nice and smooth. It'll have all of that by a good painter, but it's not going to be the same. So using that same analogy and recognizing that when you when they build an engine in the factory, that they are doing things to a much higher level than can it be accomplished in a, even the best engine shop. All right, with the most state of the art equipment, because the most state of the art equipment is not going to be state of the art compared to what Ford has, or John Deere, or General Motors. But what I want to emphasize today is is a particular area, and I'm going to talk about cylinder wall finish. So that's what I'm, I'm getting up to. And the the thing is that about 20 years ago, maybe a little bit longer now, who knows. I don't know exactly when it came out. Is that the the whole idea with cylinder wall finish on an, on any engine, whether it's a whether it's a uh, lawnmower engine or what have you, is that the cylinder wall finish is going to be paramount for a couple of things. It's first of all, it's going to be paramount for the ring seal. And remember, there's there's two compression rings, top and the second ring, and then there's the oil control ring. So the, the cylinder wall finish is going to be the bacon and eggs with the ring package. So you're going to have to have the proper cylinder wall finish to and to marry that ring so that rings so that ring seals. So you want the cylinder, sil- you want the, the compression rings to seal so that there is no compression loss or or cylinder pressure loss is the best way for me to say it. And if anybody who's done a leak down test, not a compression test, but a leak down test where you pump air into the cylinder Uh, and then you measure how much is leaking past and depending upon where it leaks is going to tell you where the poor seal is so if you hear if you hear air escaping into the oil pan then you have a ring seal problem if you hear air escaping through the induction path of the engine then you have an intake valve sealing problem, and if you hear it through the, the exhaust system, you have an exhaust valve problem, or if you hear it through, or usually with something like that, is that the, the major leak is going steal to the, steal the thunder from the other. So you may have an engine that is older and tired, and you have the majority of leakages going past the rings, so even though you have some leakage past the valves, intake and exhaust, or both, right is that you're not going to maybe hear it there so you're going to hear it more the the majority leak just like if you have a leak in a pipe all right and you have a you have a major leak here and it's 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 spewing out and some is going through the pipe yet and you have a minor leak two feet away and you have a little bit dam this coming out there is because the major leak is stealing it stealing the thunder from it all right so the same thing basically happens happens with an engine but on today's modern engines all right there are there the ring package is completely different than it used to be and they're using a very thin ring and they're using that for friction okay to reduction in friction and but they're also marrying that ring design that material and what a lot of people don't realize is that on a production engine And they're not they don't have some guy doing this by hand, is that they actually lap in the rings after they are made before they go on the piston and go into that engine. Right. So they're they're lapping them in, they're mating them in. So what happens is then the reason why they're doing that is that it's paramount for them to get the best ring seal for, for fuel economy, for power and for emissions, and they want the best oil control. All right, because years ago people said I got a thousand miles on a quarter oil. And my Fiesta has two hundred twenty thousand miles on it, all right. Little four cylinder, two and I'm using that as an example. My escort had almost a half a million, two hundred twenty thousand miles on it, all right. And let's say if I change the oil between six and eight thousand, nine thousand miles, depending upon upon the type of use I've i gi- I've given. If I'm running a lot of highway a lot of long-distance trips, I probably push it more towards the 8,000, all right, if I'm doing more, you know, I'm not, you're keeping a, uh, I'm keeping a mental record of it, but regardless, so let's say 7,500 miles, 8,000 miles, let's use 8,000 for easy arithmetic, that sucker doesn't use a, a quarter of a quarter of oil in 8,000 miles, I mean, nothing, I mean it uh lots of, I mean if I do it like it's change it like it's six thousand, doesn't even use that. I mean, so I'm, I'm talking about using maybe six ounces of oil and eight thousand miles of even that. And lots of times, and maybe the time I did that is because I had more cold starts on it or something. All right, because you have to realize that everything is not going to be sealed as fit eff- as effectively when the engine is cold. All right. Now, years ago, people used to break I got a thousand miles on a quart, or you have a farm tract I got, you know, I got th- ten hours on, on 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 a quart of oil or whatever. I'm making up numbers. All right. So the things that a lot of things have changed, but so the ring design has changed. So you say, well. The guy from town could buy that same ring well he can but he can't just like i made the analogy of the he could buy a very good ring he could buy an excellent ring i'm not going to say that but are you getting the same ring that was put in at the factory and i would i can't go and on on a case by case basis but for all intents and purposes i would tell you no even if you go to the dealer and buy the ring package go to john deere all right maybe for this engine you're getting the exact same ring but lots of times you are not because there's some element that is missing from it and i don't mean that the ring is that you take the out of, the, out of the package and there's one ring missing but there's a design element or a metallurgical element there a coding element that is lots of times missing from it that they put on in the factory that they do not replicate in the service part all right is that right or wrong who knows so the thing basically is the ring package is the ring design is has the potential of being different in some way maybe not visually different but one of the biggest things as far as the cylinder ceiling is concerned is the honing process that is used the boring and then the honing but specifically the honing for the past 20 years or so the production engines have been have what they call a plateau hone Whereas the idea before was to use a coarse stone to, and then go in there and finish it up with a fine stone, which gave you a lot of peaks and valleys, and then the and then the the, the, the thought process was, and I'm 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 glossing over this so you could get an idea idea of it because you could actually do a seminar all day long on this, literally eight hours. I'm not saying that I have the skills or the knowledge to talk about it, but the stone the wall finish is is a moving target. I mean, like you would not believe. All right, but the but breaking it down to the simplest form is that over the past number of years, and the OEs came out with that, is that they they came up with what's called a plateau hone. so if you look at a plateau if you're out west and you look at a plateau it's flat so what they basically do whereas the theory before was to have these peaks and valleys which a lot of people quantified as the crosshatch it's not really the crosshatch all right so for this for for this show that just take it take my word for it all right is that it's it's not the crosshatch, all right, the crosshatch is still important, but the peaks and valleys, all right, whereas the idea was before that sometimes it did. you wanted the peaks and valleys because you wanted them to hold oil and you wanted to be able to break in the rings and you wanted to keep the cylinder wall lubricated and then have the oil ring scrape that back off. All right. Well, just like before years ago in agriculture, we used to go and say, well you got a you got a mold board plough and then you got a disc and then you gotta go with a field cultivator and then you plant. So that was the old school. I'd no till, right? I don't touch, I go in the field. And to me, I know a lot of people do con- what we would call conventional farming or minimum or min till so today go to the field. And I'm not saying that I'm against that, but but a no-till farmer is akin to a plateau-honed engine because the plateau engine is using, some people call it a brush. They have all different names for it, right? And what they're doing is they're, they're bringing those peaks and valleys, evening them, them out, but just like if you talk to somebody who does who's gonna go into no till farming, they say, Well, you know, you gotta to transition to no-till, that you can't go from right from conventional farming to no-till and and you have to and you say, Well, I have to transition. Or you say, Well, you gotta make sure your soil structure, your tilt is right. A lot of people use cover crops to break to to, to build it up and then they, they go to a minimum till and they eventually go to a no-till. So ultimately what's basically happening if you break that down to the ridiculous and if there's agronomists listening which i know there are please correct me if i'm wrong but i read quite a bit about it as i transitioned to no-till in the past five or six years i'm completely no-till all right the thing is that that you need to make your soil structure agreeable to not having to be tilled to be able to have a good seed trench and good seed bed established and to get the seed placed where you want and to cover it up and have it germinate and emerge evenly, all right? So there's some preparation there. Well, the same thing basically happens is that if you look at the cylinder wall and the, and the plateau honing that you um, that is being done today from the factory then the thing is that that's being married just like the no-till is being married with the soil preparation. I mean, I I don't mean physically, mechanically preparing the soil, but making the soil health where it's going to accept that is that the cylinder wall finish with the with the crosshatch and with the plateau honing is working hand in hand with the ring package and the ring design and the lapping of the ring so the thing is that a production engine today has the ring lapped to the cylinder wall finish that is going to be created now the the thing is that most most shops and some shops do and some shops don't but uh and most shops don't i should say is that the, you're supposed to use a profilometer to measure the surface on the on the uh, well, not only on the on the cylinder wall, all right, but also on the gasket surface and what have you. The thing is that, if for all practical purposes, some a, profilo, a profilometer is a couple of thousand dollars, all right. Which to most shops, that's that's a that's that's in the affordable range. But the thing basically is, is that you could go and measure something and and then you say okay fine i got this measurement it's not desirable but what do i do with it all right so the thing is that so on the rebuilding level even the best machine shop i mean i'm not not knocking anybody says okay i recognize this all right my 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 finish is not ideal all right they, you could you could buy something it that that's, they call them a brush hone today to do a plateau hone in uh, in your in, in you right with right with your honing machine you could have a the top of the line honing machine but keep in mind that that's not going to be the same level of I'm going to use the word quality but more I'll say precision. That you would get in a production engine, and the production engine is able to do this in a very, very, very quick period of time. Very quickly. You're not going to spend three weeks honing an engine, all right Not that a machine shop would either. But you have to realize it's it's a that they've got that from the beginning of the, early in the show. say so they got that balancing act. Well, we want to accomplish this, but we want to accomplish it quicker, all right? Because you have to build a thousand of these engines a day. So, it's just like if you were to take up to be ridiculous a pair of snips and cut the lawn, right? You could say, Well, I'm going to go in there with a roller or a, or a veneer caliper and I'm going to set this, I'm going to sharpen, I'm going to make sure everything is straight, and I'm going to cut the lawn. And it takes me, I would say, whatever. I'm, this is a ridiculous, but I'm a student of Zig Ziglar, so I'm breaking that ridiculous. Let's say I have this 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 lawn, and it takes me whatever 10 hours to cut the lawn with the snips. To be ridiculous, oh, it looks beautiful. My wife comes out, oh, it looks beautiful. The lawn looks so even, right? And then you get on a on a a modern lawn tractor and you cut that same lawn in 15 minutes and if you have the deck set right you have a the proper blades and the proper draft in the deck and what have you it looks just as beautiful all right it it just as beautiful as you did when you did when when and you did this uh, with the scissors to be ridiculous and you got done in 10 minutes instead of 10 hours well that's the balancing act the factory has but also to get back to it is that so lots of times you could buy a piece of test equipment as a machinist and say okay my my profilometer says i'm really not where i should be or where, where i want to be on this cylinder wall finish but you exhaust the amount of capabilities you have to correct that so for instance i'm going to go back to my generator which is sorry, tired of hearing about but I checked, I, my, I got my new meter that checks total harmonic distortion. So now I know that my Generac, I don't know about my Briggs yet because James Condon still has it, is that my Generac with only 3,000 watts on it at... At with no load, my Generac has between 4.4 and 6% total harmonic distortion. Bounces around, even though the engine RPM is stable. All right, the thing is that with a 3,000 watt load, which the load that I calculated was just shy of 3,000 watts, but we'll say 3,000 for easy arithmetic. All right, that this uh and it's an 8000 watt generator with 10000 surge 10000 watt surge so with 3000 watts i'm just maybe a third of its load just a little bit more i mean if you use the 8000 um, i'm i'm a little bit more than a third of its load all right so uh and if you use the 10000 i'm not even at a third so let's say a third of its load capability i go from 4 to 6% total harmonic distortion up to 14 and percent so this sucker gets dirty real quick i can i don't have the ability to load it beyond that all right so maybe at eight thousand watts this thing is 25 thd i have no idea because i didn't get there so the thing is that so now like a machine shop i bought this this little meter, I bought a four hundred dollar meter. Is it gonna be as accurate as a ten thousand dollar or twenty thousand dollar meter that they use in a lab? uh it's not going to be but it's accurate enough so maybe i'm at 14.1 or maybe i'm at 14.8 instead of 14.5 but it's close enough to get me in the ballpark all right for what i'm looking to do so now i so even let's say i have a twenty thousand dollar total harmonic and i'm reading it on a scope and i'm doing all of this stuff and i, I got a, a number that you could take right to the bank with it, right 14 point let's say 267 harmonic distortion i don't have the ability to do anything about it i can't correct it so it got me to that so when you go to a machine shop that's in town and they say well the guy could be the most wonderful machinist in the world but he only has the ability to bring it not he doesn't have the knowledge he only has the ability to bring it to a certain level all right whereas the factory whatever the factory is john df ward general motors whatever it may be right they have the ability to say, hey, we need to get this to this level and we need a whatever. First of all, their profilometer is gonna be a lot more accurate than my, just like my $20,000 power sensing meter is gonna be a lot more accurate than my $400 one, but close enough for what I'm doing, all right? And they could bring it to this next level and they could say, well, we need to do this, all right? We need to, so in essence, the hone that you're getting from the factory, all right, when it's an engine isn't brand new, is a different hone, a different quality hone than you're getting from the best machinist. And, I mean, bar, barring none simply because they don't have that, not that they don't have the 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 education or the knowledge to do it they don't have the ability to do it just because of the equipment and all the other circumstances that come together just like you could have a guy going back and forth through a farm analogy you could have a guy that 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 uh farms in maine he could be the most wonderful farmer in Maine, and he may and he may win his yield contest. Will stick with corn for Maine or for that region, but he's never going to compete with a guy who's down in the Corn Belt. Or down, or specifically down south. All right. Even if he has the same soil structure, so it's the same soil structure, it's the same same CEC, the same nutrient program, the same amount of organic matter. Everything is the same, or even better soil structure than the guy that down in Georgia. We'll just call for a second for the tracks run. <coughs> I'm sorry, I'm back. So the thing is that why because his ground stays colder longer he has less summer he has less warm weather less less sunlight there all right less heat units so if you look at the heat units every crop needs a certain amount well the same thing is going to happen with machining so the take-home message here that i want it that i want to bring closure to this so because i don't want you to think i went off on a tangent is that if you're going to rebuild an engine for a piece of equipment because you're not going to buy new and it's whether it's a truck whether it's a piece of farm equipment what have you you have to recognize though you could get it to run very very well to have good oil control everything you are never going to make it new again all right so (coughs) excuse me you're never going to make it new again just like the body man is going to paint the fender, paint the hood, it's going to look beautiful, the paint is going to match. It's never going to have the durability and the reliability of because of all of the other aspects that come into what how they paint a vehicle in the factory, all right? So you may say, well, excuse me going back to that analogy saying well the paint isn't that good body man says like my, my friend who paints cars you know builds custom cars he looks as so that paints garbage well it's garbage based upon what you're doing because uh all right as far as its visual is concerned but i had him paint my ranger my <laughs> ranger when it uh when i got hit number 20 years ago and a beautiful match gorgeous, oh, beautiful but but it doesn't have the durability no body shop paint shop has the durability of a factory paint shop. all right for for real life uses you're going into a car show with it yeah he can make it look better than a factory can but but, but after 200,000 miles, the factory paint's going to look a lot better than any body shop in the world with the most expensive paint. So you need to recognize this. And you have to balance out, which is no, no great shakes to you. To, to, I'm not giving you any epiphany here. You have to balance out the cost-benefit ratio. But if you went and you had, let's say arguably you have this pickup truck, and you go and you say well okay the motor's tired whatever we won't even go there and you know should i rebuild the engine or should i buy a new engine from whatever ford ram chevrolet whatever it may be all right the thing basically is is that what i'm suggesting to you is first of all when you're buying a new engine from a manufacturer from the original everything is new there's nothing in there there's no ghosts hiding because oh my wife cooked this thing one time all right there's no ghosts hiding in there whatsoever all right everything is new whereas most of the time when you go through an engine and rebuild an engine and there's all different levels is that there's going to be a lot of steps that are missed all right so a lot of people rebuild an engine and they don't do a line hone on it for the crank all right they uh they when they do when they do a a valve job they may not they only replace some of the parts even if you replace all the parts you are not going to get the same quality as it was from the factory so that's a hundred percent fine so let's say that you have this pickup truck it's got 300,000 miles and I'm using that for an example and you say well you know I, I don't want to buy a new one for $50,000 because so what I use this for the body is good everything else is good the interior is good it's just uh, it's getting old and tired all right and I would like to you know to to keep this on the road and save the money and put my money somewhere else and put five or ten thousand dollars into it versus sixty thousand dollars into it and put that to some place where it's going to make me money instead of instead of a pickup truck using that like i say as an example or you or it could be a, a combine whatever right so the thing is that do not expect to get three hundred thousand miles and i'm not saying that you can't out of that engine when it's rebuilt because the majority of the procedures and components are going to be old you're not going to get a new crankshaft all right. so the thing is that so at most they're going to turn the crank all right you're, at most they're going to re they're going to resize the connecting rods a lot of shops don't resize the connecting rods all right the small end and the big end all right so they're going to measure oh i measure them they're good oh, everything is good right i mean and and the fact of the matter is is that you're not going to get the same quality gaskets. you're not going to get the same but if you were to buy a new engine from General Motors, Ford, John Deere, what have you, then you are going to get everything new, and in almost unless it's a very outdated piece of equipment that's very old, is for the most part, you're going to get the exact same materials, components, parts that go in in the assembly line, because lots of times that engine doesn't know where it's going. So it doesn't know whether it's going into the factory, the assembly plant, or going in a crate to be sold at the dealership. Now, in most instances, there is a big cost differential between those, right? So that's why I say you have to pencil this out. And if you say, "Well, I'm not looking to get 500,000 miles out of this pickup truck. I got 300,000 miles on it now from the factory engine. If I get another 100, 150,000 miles and it still runs fine, then I'm very happy with that. And, and you know, I'm going to save $3,000 by by not buying a new engine from the manufacturer. And I'd rather, and that's fine. That's a, that's a, that's a valid business decision but you have to make a business decision based upon this and I can tell you is that do not assume that a new engine from the dealership is going to be much more money than rebuilding yours and also you need to also you need to talk to the rebuilder and find out exactly what he's doing. And I'm not saying that the guy is that the person is underhanded or cheating you whatever but what they'll start to do is subtract a lot of things without with, with a pure heart so ah, you really don't need that Ah, you really don't need that you really don't need that and that gets the course down because they realize if they said to you well, i'm gonna buy a new crank i'm gonna buy new rods well we're gonna buy new pistons because we're boring it but uh, i mean i can't really plateau hone it but uh, yeah it's a load of crap that the hot rod palmer told you don't need a plateau on it i write the thing well, i got a brush on here and that's called a plateau horn. well like I say, you put it all together It's and, it, and it's it's like the guy who plants his crop and says, ah, you don't need that. Ah, that soil temperature is good enough. This is good ah, da, da, da. You know, N, P, and K is all I need. That guy never hits the high yield number, all right, which is fine. If you don't want to hit the high yield number, that's 100% fine. But what I do want to say to you is that do your due diligence because lots of times the economies of scale, from a manufacturer to give you a brand new engine with everything brand new, a new block, a new crank, new rods, the the the, the, the right cylinder hone in it, everything in there, all right, that we that we spoke about, can sometimes it's actually cheaper or not that much more than going through your engine and you're going to have a much much better product much to the chagrin of the poor guy in town who is trying to make a living in an engine machine shop i know a lot of a lot of friends of mine are machinists they're excellent machinists all right but the fact of the matter is is that in many instances unless it's an oddball engine or an out-of-date engine if they're honest with you they'll tell you go buy a new crate engine from the dealer because it's going to be better it's it's going to have a warranty that's that's covered through any place in the country if it's a road vehicle all right and it's going to be everything is going to be new and lots of times because of the economies of scale that they cannot even come near that price, on if they have to de things, or or de-procedure uh, things to get that level, and even if they can't, just like the body shop cannot paint the hood to the same level that the factory can, and make it last for a hundred thousand miles of 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 of. of when I see is I don't mean the paint is gonna you know, go flying off at sixty miles an hour, but it's gonna chip, it's not gonna be the same. It's just not gonna be the same. But you have to make that business decision. And and but I but there is a difference. There's a difference what the factory does. Now, was that difference so much was so uh, prevalent forty years ago, fifty years ago? I would say to you no. The factory was able to do it quicker all right because they couldn't spend the day boring and honing a block they happened to do it quicker all right and they were and some of the economies of scale that i speak about for the engines today but in lots of instances you could have gotten a better job with a very high quality machine shop or just the same job and lots of times even like i said i started to say and i backed up on it myself a little bit of a better job with that than going through it than than the factory but that is really not the deal today I mean and something so I bought a new engine blew up. Well, that's always the case. So you're always gonna get something. But if you look at the materials the procedures, everything, and the idea that everything is new, that you really owe it to yourself, your farm, and your business decision to pencil out brand new. And I don't mean brand new from a rebuild that They tell you it's new. We started, we spoke about that at, at the beginning of the show. That you go right to the dealer and say, How much is a new engine for this application? And ask them to and ask them right to give you that price, and you may find that it pencils out a heck of a lot better and quicker because you get that, that that machine, that truck, whatever, back into service almost, a, well, just the time to swing it in all right, immediately versus tying it up in a machine shop and saying, well, there's delays, we can't get this, this came in. So, so that is but specifically the ring package today the ring material the idea of the way the ring is manufactured and you know and you could buy hastings or you could buy molly or somebody i mean it's, it's but it's not the same and specifically the cylinder wall finish is not going to be the same even if the guy builds top fuel engines it's not going to be the same still in the wall finish that is going to be a hundred percent the proper finish for a combine or a pickup program maybe a hundred you go to a race engine shop maybe a hundred percent of the proper finish for a drag race engine but not for a combine all right i'm using that to just the polar opposite ends of the spectrum so i want to thank you so much for listening and i want you to know what the hot rod farmer is pulling for you the american farmer and rancher my beloved america you have a blessed blessed day get into that contest before it's too late i want to give those books away take care bye bye